Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Person-Centred Performance Podcast. My guest in this episode is Emily Gilbert. Emily is a sports massage therapist with a keen interest in taking a whole person approach to helping those in pain. The conversation mostly revolved around how as non-clinicians we can assist in the care of those uh, dealing with persistent pain. But we also talked about the real benefits of sports massage versus some of the common myths associated with it. And we also chatted about our broader philosophy behind the work that we do and how, how we go about trying to help people achieve their goals and get back to their valued life activities. This conversation probably could have gone on for another hour or two, so I'll definitely hope to have another chat like this with Emily in the future. I hope you enjoy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned biomedical science. Yeah. You want to just tell me a little bit more about that and then ultimately how that led you to the profession and the, the role that you're in right now as a massage therapist? Yeah. So um I'm a I used to be a biomedical scientist. Um it's very biomed is kind of the, I guess it's like the the internal workings of what happens behind a diagnosis. So um, if someone's diagnosed with a medical condition, the chances are they've had quite a few tests. Um, all of those will be sent to a lab. The biomed will analyze them depending on what area they work in. And there's like, as with medicine, there's like a plethora of different, you know, areas you can work in. Um, but it's always a small part of the person. You don't know the person either. Like, you, you know, you see a patient number and you've got the sample and you run the sample and you get the result and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, that for a really long time was great it was really interesting like I'm fascinated by what happens inside the body and I think that's definitely led down the route of me trying to call out a lot of myths around massage um but it it felt like something was missing like a huge piece of the puzzle was missing and obviously biomedical science is important it's it's part of medicine that, that we need to have but I think for me just seeing a small sample of somebody and then wondering and I kept wondering and you never find out but I kept wondering what was happening to that person and how that person was feeling in that situation that that person was in um whereas I've just got this tiny part of them mm. and then whatever the result it could absolutely change their entire life um and then obviously then you get into working with a whole person and how that would would affect you know them, them as a human and them as, as their life but it just I think it's just always bugged me that I only saw a tiny part of somebody um and I like working with people as a whole Mm. and I think I'm quite a nosy person so I quite like (laughs) I quite like uh, kind of understanding what people enjoy what people are frightened of what people are worried about what what scares people what people want for the future not just a tiny part of them or a blood sample or a bit of tissue um and that's essentially jumping past my stint in environmental health, where I worked with asbestos, um, which was just a career move that I did not enjoy for one second. Um, I was kind of thinking, like, how can I how can I start to work with people? And then one of my friends popped me a message over saying, there's a sports massage course happening in Sheffield. Um, they've had two cancellations on the course. Maybe you would like to do that. And I, I was thinking about going back to university. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I was just like, yeah, sure. I mean, even if I don't use it, it'll be a nice thing to, to have. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Really loved it. Um, but following qualifications, the more you start to unravel about what you've been taught on the course, the more you start to question, hmm, maybe some of that wasn't quite as true as I thought it was. 
Um, yeah. yeah, and I guess that, that's kind of over the last five years, this is where I've ended up now, trying awesome. to unravel it more and more. Yeah, awesome. So that that kind of the the sort of reductionist nature, if you will, of some of biomedical yeah. science led you to that desire to want to work with people as whole people, yes. you know, and, and yeah. be able to Absolutely. explore not just, you know, what an issue might be with somebody's body, but really kind of finding a path mm. that helps care and help people as a whole person and all, all the complexities that that kind of entails. Yeah. Uh, because it, you know, Absolutely. I think, I think <clears throat> that like to work with people, there's, there's a real kind of, um, there's a real sense of joy and fulfillment in being able oh. to take someone through a process yeah. where they can, you know, measurably feel better in themselves. Absolutely. Physically, on the other side of whatever kind of intervention or process you've taken them through. Um, it's interesting what you say as well about your, early education in massage and, and maybe how some of like sort of the reductionist traps that might have come within biomedical science yeah. kind of followed through to some of your massage education as well would you say yeah yeah absolutely definitely I think <clears throat> for me one of the things that it's like my white whale then you know when you, you hear someone say it and you're just like yeah <laughs> um <laughs> It's the massage is detoxifying and massage removes toxins from the body. And this is why you should drink water after massage. And obviously kind of coming from a biomed background, you do have an understand of, uh, understanding of like physiological process that, processes that deal with like metabolic waste products. Nothing about the processes that happens in the body actually line up with what we're claiming massage does. So that's kind of that removal of toxins is definitely my it's my white whale I'm like a rag like a bull to a red rag when I hear that I'm just like no 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think we've all got those little things haven't we um yeah I, I think I think the big one for me is this idea of just just thinking about how that resonates with me on my side of the fence mm. um it would be mm. insistence on uh, a one-size-fits-all approach to movement yeah um particularly when it comes to things like strength training and you know the knowledge that a lot of people are not physically active enough as it is in many cases through no fault of their own yeah 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 absolutely unnecessary barriers that we <clears throat> in front of people and um, that mm -hmm. are that are kind of they, they are they do they have their foundations in a very biomechanical view of the person almost yeah. assuming that the body is a machine and it can be reduced to its mechanical parts and can be exposed mm -hmm. in, that, in that respect yeah. is that something you've come across in massage quite a lot as well would you say yeah there's there's always a lot of um <clears throat> there's a lot of phrases around like having an mot like get your body checked in for an mot and i don't i hate that like you know it's, it's not a if, if something goes wrong in the car a lot of the time the car stops working doesn't it if something's off kilter in the body it does a really good job of just adapting and carrying on and it will let you know if it needs to let you know but um, yeah, I think just, just that kind of like, th there is that phrase of like coming in for an MOT or coming in for maintenance massage, um, but I'm not sure what we're trying to maintain. Maybe the therapist bank balance, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, these kind of really generic phrases that, that reduce somebody down to some kind of like inanimate object is just, it, it irks me a lot. It really bugs me because it's, I mean, ugh again really oversimplifying the, the human situation um but also it can then lead into people starting to become really over-reliant on things like 
like massage for some yeah. reason. Um, I mean, I'm sure it happens in, in kind of all, all MSK practices, this notion that you need to be on a rolling situation to, to be okay. And, you know, I do have clients that have monthly massages, but I leave it for them to kind of book and sort themselves out. I don't really direct that because I just think if you would like a massage monthly and that works for you and, you know, for whatever reason, stress, it's your time to yourself, you enjoy it whatever that's fine but I think if we start to say like your body's going to fall apart if you don't do this I think then we start to kind of start to go down a very dark rabbit hole of, of ultimately a lot of the time people not trusting their own bodies yeah yeah um, overly medicalizing someone overly medical and then what happens if people can't afford to do this monthly mm. do we just leave them to disintegrate like what I, I just I don't like the stories that it forms around yeah around kind of people's situations and also you have no idea like what how that story is going to be interpreted by somebody so you could say yes it's ideal if you come in monthly so we can maintain whatever I'm still not sure what people are maintaining um but if if somebody interprets that as oh god if I don't have a monthly massage my body's going to fall apart and I'm not going to be able to do the things I enjoy I think it starts to starts to take a an unpleasant turn yeah yeah yeah, when when you're not there, how is that person developing tools to self-manage and yeah, absolutely uh, stay stay physically active, but also feel like they can cope with whatever yeah. their experience is. Absolutely, uh, it's it's an interesting point you make about you, you, you what you want to try and promote as much autonomy as possible. In you know, if somebody wants to have a massage, that's that's absolutely fine in itself. Yeah. I imagine, um, but you know the the sort of in the informed consent and the education around what it is, what it isn't, what it's providing, yeah. what, how essential that that intervention yeah. is for a person at any one given time as well. Absolutely, definitely. And I think like coming back to the informed consent thing, I think because a lot of the reasoning for why people are doing things in massage and not necessarily in line with what we have from an evidence point of view, I think, I mean, I think this is a rabbit hole you could go down as well. Like I it, it, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable with how informed that consent can be sometimes, depending on what the therapist is telling the person in front of them. Um, and, you know, hopefully the majority of the time sounds really awful. The client's probably not taking on board what you're saying anyway. But if the, if you do have a client that latches onto something about breaking down muscular adhesions, removing toxins from the body, increasing circulation, and they take it and kind of form it as part of their story about how they they can live as a human I think I, 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 it just it, it fills me with it, it makes me feel uncomfortable it makes me feel really uncomfortable um and I think this is a problem throughout massage we have a lot of misinformation that is spouted to sell a treatment mm. or a course of treatment actually because mm. some some massage therapists are recommending 10 20 30 appointments to be paid up front as well a lot of the time and um yeah I just said I don't know it just it, it makes me makes me feel uncomfortable mm. yeah how how would you say obviously it's quite this, this is going to be quite a broad question but mm -hmm. how would you say that you personally balance the the knowledge that somebody can get some very very significant short-term pain mm -hmm. relief from yeah. experience of massage versus kind of the the knowledge that you you, you don't simultaneously want to necessarily create a dependency or mm. or communicate narratives about how essential this is you know 
long-term yeah. or maintenance or you know to <clears throat> improve toxins or improve so yeah. other narratives that might not necessarily have been substantiated by the evidence yeah. um it's it's, a, I imagine it's a fine tightrope to walk it's hard yeah it's hard and I think you just have to kind of um see the person that you've got in front of you and and figure out the best possible way to communicate whatever you need to communicate to them but some I mean sometimes you a, a really classic one is when people say do my muscles feel tight um and I think we, we don't have any evidence to show that tightness kind of shows itself up in the texture of tissue and it's definitely not something we can find with our hands even though it continues to be taught on courses um but I think you have to ask the if 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 these narratives are coming up or if these stories are coming up in, in appointments I think you have to first of all I would always ask permission if I can offer an alternative explanation if the person says no well then no like we just we just carry on and and to be honest I'll try and like skirt around the issue or maybe just rephrase it or reframe it later on in the appointment but if somebody does want an alternative explanation then we can start to dive into why what they may have been told previously in appointments might not be entirely correct um a question that does come up as well is like how frequently should I have a massage and I think there are a plethora of factors that could affect that. Do you enjoy massage? Is it something you want as part of your routine? Do you feel like you get any benefit from it? What is your financial situation? What is your home life like? Do you have time? Um, because this might sound really awful coming from a massage therapist, and maybe very poor from a business point of view. <laughs> massage is not essential. It is not essential, and it's something that you know. Uh, people can afford if they can afford to do it they they do it if not then then you know it's 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 not necessarily detrimental to somebody's health for some people it works really well some people hate it I think it's it's a really there's no one answer to say like how do we we kind of approach the I guess like the the, the situation after the appointment it just very much depends on the person that you've got in front of you and um previous beliefs about massage do we feel like that person is going to become dependent on a passive treatment essentially um are they going to be taking away from other areas of their life to try and afford a massage appointment? there's loads of different factors um and i think it's important to recognize that and not just think right i'm going to sell you a package of 10 appointments and we'll see you every month and then everything will be wonderful yeah i don't like that oh yeah yeah and I guess that's that's not necessarily exclusive to massage either. That that is the case with any kind of intervention mm. that could cr potentially create a dependency. And I know, even even with personal training, which and and, and coaching one to one, mm. which could be viewed as something that's very active, and mm -hmm. the you know the, the client themselves are, are the one that's engaged in that activity with guidance and support. Mm -hmm. Even in those kind of relationships there's still been instances in my career where I've noticed a dependency being created or yeah, I've, I've noticed that the, the way that that person has potentially been interpreting the process has been towards um, it, it's, it's being framed from a, from a standpoint of if you weren't here, I would not be able to even know where to start. Yeah. I think that's where as, as a coach, you know, you develop, you develop skills to be able to provide education and the the, the, the mm -hmm. tools for that person to self-manage you know yeah slowly over time creating an environment where that person can have more autonomy yeah in the process. absolutely um there's a there's a little joke within coaching that you know you you will have the best long-term coaching relationships with people when you essentially 
make yourself obsolete almost but people yes. continue to come back not because they are dependent upon you but because they want to further increase their ability to self-manage their own health and fitness yeah. themselves um and would you say that that's something that you're trying to create from your own practice as well yeah and I think that sounds really weird coming from a massage therapist sometimes because massive massage can be a really really passive you know somebody just lies down on the bed and hands are put on them and and that's that but in my sessions we tend to do quite a lot of movement so we have there's a lot of movement there's a lot of self-management advice ideally I would never like to see the person again um unless they want to or unless they need to but um but yeah I think I it doesn't sit comfortably unless it is by by the choice of the the client to come back that um we kind of start to develop this story of well you will only get better if you keep coming to see me because realistically a lot of obviously it's different with like persistent pain but a lot of kind of acute pain or, or short-term muscular pain gets better on its own with some really great self-management advice yes of course massage can bring that discomfort down if it's starting to become a hindrance to a person's life but really where the the kind of the the change happens is them being able to self-manage their situation and then thinking actually next time if this flares again um and it's a similar situation i don't need to go and see somebody i can potentially try this this and this and then if it doesn't get better, maybe we'll seek further advice. But yeah, I like to, I do really, I'm, I'm big on self-management, big on self-management because I think it's really important. And it brings the control back to that person in what can feel like a very out of control situation when you're in pain, um, which I really like. I like making sure that people feel in control and we go through lots of different scenarios in the session as to what potentially could be an outcome. Um, mm whether we need to refer to a physio, maybe we need to refer to a GP, maybe it's just a matter of time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm big on people having the tools to take away. And, and I think a, a huge amount of that is starting to understand maybe what pain is and, and why pain is there. And obviously I have to be very careful not to step outside of my scope of, of practice and start diagnosing people. But um I think a lot of people don't understand what pain is. They don't, they think it comes out of the blue for absolutely no kind of reason. And once we start to break down maybe situations that have led up to the, the episode of pain, people start to think, oh, actually, yeah, I have been doing this or I haven't been doing this or life's been really stressful. I'm grieving. I've got money worries. I've suddenly started working from home. So I'm maybe not moving around as much in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think kind of just having a, a nice little not a biomedical science level of pain because I don't think that's necessary at all but um just an understanding of why pain might be presenting in the body and what it's trying to tell somebody tends to take away the need to maybe constantly see somebody to make someone's pain better if that makes sense yeah yeah almost almost by default a, a greater understanding of the like you say not not necessarily a <laughs> too deep of an understanding of, of no pain. no no <laughs> then you're into then you're into complexities that can oftentimes just confuse or yeah. um i think you, you've got to walk a fine line there as well that you don't dismiss people's experience when you start talking about the interaction with the brain and the nervous system very um, much yeah that might be contributing to someone's experience um, and yeah. from my experience of first developing a, a trusting relationship with a client where they are mm -hmm. receptive and open to yeah. some of these ideas yeah 
using more simplified not not so simplified that it, it's patronizing to the individual but no 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 you know, respecting somebody's intelligence <clears throat> but also recognizing that you know things like analogies can be really helpful really helpful like yeah that, um to get people to understand a little bit more how their experience might not necessarily be um completely reduced to the tissue mm -hmm. or might not necessarily be a result of a mechanical fault with them yes. exclusively yep. might be a contributing factor um but like i love what you say there about and it, it, get, it gets back to this idea of whole person healthcare yep. or whole person helping um in the sense that you are inquiring into that person's entire life mm -hmm. as a whole who they yep. are physically mentally socially yep. um and when people are more receptive to how those different factors can contribute to their experience i think that's when you're really onto a winner yep. And that is almost the catalyst for improved self-management and can also can almost be empowering. It's a it's 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 an irony really that the same conversation can for one person potentially feel dismissive and um yeah. degrading if you get it wrong, but then it yes. can also be simultaneously really empowering for somebody if you get it right and you communicate it effectively enough, I've noticed. Absolutely. Certainly got I it. have got it so I've got it so so wrong before and the minute you lose somebody in terms of they're like I'm not going to listen to her anymore because she's can I swear oh you're going for it. yeah yeah <laughs> she's just pissing me off now she's just pissing me off with what she's saying like I I've definitely got it so wrong and I will continue to get it wrong as yeah. well um and I think you know as cheesy as it sounds like every time you get it wrong you take something from it you learn you don't do it again yeah um <clears throat> And I've definitely kind of previously really oversimplified pain. And it's like, well, your body's doing this, your body's doing this, it's reacting like this. And it's, it's yeah, it's some people that works for really, really well. Some people it is not what they want to hear at all. And I think when, when we kind of start to, I, th I think pain is so personal. Like when you start to try and take charge of that explanation for somebody, that's taking quite a lot away from that person because they're like, well, it's my pain. You don't know what my pain is like because you can't feel my pain. So why are you trying to tell me what my pain is? Um, which is why I think as well, like when, when we are looking into pain, um, it's really important to find out what it means to the person, how it's affecting them, um, what it may be taking away from their life, what it may be bringing to their life. It's, it's, so, it's so person dependent. I think this is where there's just such a huge amount of nuance and, and as as it does sound really cheesy as well, but it is like a person by person situation. Like I don't think you can you can kind of make blanket statements. But I think explaining someone's pain to them and telling them how they should be feeling is a no. No yeah. one do that because <laughs> it's it's awful. It's not yeah. like yeah. And I've 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 done it definitely kind of previously. And I've just the minute the words have come out of my mouth, I'm just like, oh, Emily, you idiot! Like why did you why did you say that? And then trying to randomly scrabble it back, and it's like no, we've lost them. We've lost them. Okay, fine. Probably never going to see you again, and I'm really sorry. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 tricky. It's hard, and it's it's a constant like learning. Mm. Well, I think I'll be learning for the rest of my life. But um, yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it takes a lot of a you develop. You almost develop a specific emotional intelligence over time to be able yeah. to identify what kind of information somebody might be ready for. Yes. What specific time point as well. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I know like some of the conversations that I have with clients about their experience right now, 
will be a, a hell of a lot different to the detail yep. or maybe the frankness that I spoke about their experience two to three months ago when they just simply weren't necessarily ready to be able to right, yeah. integrate integrate those kind of concepts into their story yep. of themselves and their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you know, definitely. Who are we to who are we to completely rewrite that story for somebody when we don't know them, we don't yep. know their desires, we don't right. know their Exactly. I like what you said, asking permission first, you know, having that as as an important value. Yeah, absolutely. I feel feel that really strongly as well. Like, who the hell am I to barge into somebody's kind of situation and just be like, well, this, 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 and this, this is what it is, this is what it isn't, like, blah, 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 this is what you need to do, this is what we're going to do. Um, Yeah, just who, who on earth am I to be doing that? I've got no business doing that. No business at all. And I think this is where kind of... I'm going to I'm going to kind of move into another topic if that's all right I think this is where kind of like non-clinical professionals can play a really really lovely part in in pain care I don't really like the word management because I feel like we're not herding goats we're not managed people don't need managing you know it's um but but kind of pain care a lot of especially with with people who do have complex persistent pain a lot of and this is this is through speaking to to my clients as well so I can only kind of speak from the the, the perspectives of the person people that I've spoken people that I've spoken with can't get my words out Mm -hmm. um is that a lot of their life is spent in a clinical setting whether Mm -hmm. it's talking about procedures talking about medication talking about um how they need to adapt their lifestyle how they need to talk to work how they're going to deal with financial stress if they need to take time off and in non-clinical settings we don't have to talk about any of that and it can be an it can be a situation where it can it can absolutely go one or two ways it can it can move into a way where they start to feel more unsafe within their own body which can feel kind of quite a scary place to be a lot of the time or we can create a really safe lovely welcoming open yeah. space where we don't have to talk about all the scary medical things yeah. um and people can just start to maybe have a glimpse of being able to trust their body and their situation a little bit more even if it's only momentarily or for that half an hour or that hour it's it's taking the scary situation away from that hospital clinical setting and and I think that's a really exciting it's an exciting role to play it's a really privileged role to play in someone's pain care um and I think this is this is where like non-medical professionals or non-clinical professionals can really play a role unfortunately it can absolutely go the other way as well yeah um and it can create much worse situation yeah absolutely and I think that's why I'm so passionate about trying to gently and politely um dispel a lot of these myths surrounding you know some some of the dogmas within movement and Mm. and strength training and exercise that almost further medicalize people who are just done with being medicalized you know every single healthcare professional that they've interacted with has placed some kind of label on them pointed out some kind of dysfunction diagnosed some sort of pathology when they come to the gym and work with their personal trainer or yeah. they go and get a massage, yeah, they don't need any of that stuff. Oftentimes no. have way too much of it already. Um, no. Removing some of those barriers and creating a sense of empowerment for that person that they can, you know, they can't, they, they're, they're not, they're not made of glass first and foremost. Yeah. No. 
sort of anti-fragile narrative of okay this thing this this might hurt yes. we might need to adjust some things yeah. but you have the tools within yourself to be able to overcome this and yeah. with some guidance not yeah. dependency but with some guidance we can work together and collaborate yeah. to find something that works for you um, absolutely makes you feel strong resilient yeah. and capable again yes absolutely definitely and I think um I think that's an incredibly privileged role to be able to potentially play um because I think when somebody's been working with pain or been dealing with pain or experiencing pain for such a long time everything is you can't do this you've got to change this like don't do this family members stop asking people to do things oh they won't be able to do that because of their pain they can't do this they can't do that and pe people do get reduced down to their pain and you know obviously put somebody's pain is part of them it is but it's not the whole person and I think it's like you were saying this kind of role that we can play in someone's story about what they actually can do rather than what they can't do um is incredible it's absolutely it's an amazing role to be able to to play um and i think i think that's where you know like non-clinical professionals can play and why it's so important we start to talk about on these not in the depth of medical science but having some underpinning of um how to work with people with long-term health conditions or, or long-term pain how we can work with those in in an environment that's not in a hospital that's you know not discussing medication with horrendous side effects and and all this business and I think I think that's what a lot of that's what a lot of these courses lack like not necessarily kind of like I said like you know medical level pain science but how to communicate with people that are in different situations than us yeah. because you know I've never had to I've never had to worry about walking into a gym and someone asking me what I'm doing or looking at me or staring at me or I've never had to worry about the accessibility of getting onto equipment or the fact that because I've got a couple of clients who um their pain is really triggered by sound so you know saying to them weight training would be wonderful for you let's go into a gym where people are chucking plates around and weights and there's loads of music is just not going to happen I've never had to worry about that like and I think I think we need to get better at, at thinking about how what we do can work into people's lives that don't look like our lives like obviously I can only speak for myself in this situation but um I don't think there's enough of that I don't think there's enough of focus on communication on these courses at all no no not at all I, I think you know if you are if you're somebody who takes your work very seriously and mm. is the sort of person who prioritizes the relational elements of what we do, you realize pretty quickly how unequipped you were to deal yeah. with certain situations that require yeah. patience, empathy, emotional intelligence, yeah. problem solving on the fly, you know, for yeah, absolutely very, yeah. very, very specific circumstance where somebody mm. is in a, in a vulnerable position um, yeah. and being able to, it's not it's the thing that kind of frustrates me with it as well as it's not rocket science a lot of this stuff is no. a lot of this stuff is is basic human decency towards somebody it is. has yeah. certain challenges that doesn't that, you know don't don't make them by any means more kind of um you know that this whole notion of a difficult client it, it, it really i'm gonna swear now it really pisses me off as well yeah. um, pisses me off as well because you know what define difficulty is difficulty just something that you're not willing to entertain with and entertain because it might yeah. 
it might result in you having to think a little bit harder about what you're doing yeah. or create accessibility in a way that you've not before. Yeah. You no, know, these these things are privileges. They're not they're, they're yeah. not they're not difficulties. No. It's it's an opportunity to grow as a practitioner and help yes. somebody who who needs it far more in many respects than maybe people that would be that you'd have an easier time in the sense of it wouldn't present as many challenges to yeah. you know to, to, to work with. Um yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't believe in in difficult clients mm. either. I tend, I think maybe way back when I did, when I first started and I was like, this person's being purposefully belligerent, aren't they? But they're not. It's that I'm not seeing their situation for what their situation is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a difference between uh, an individual who you may, you may experience difficulty in navigating dialogue and conversation with for a variety of reasons that, yes yeah that probably have you know, due to characteristics within them as a person but but predominantly characteristics within yourself as well mm-hmm. you're yeah. not going to be able to extend empathy to everybody that walks through the door and that's because we're human you know but it's 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 trying your best to do that yeah. you know what I mean? it's trying your best absolutely and i think um you know that I don't know about you, but if I'm having a difficult time outside of work, that that can definitely extend into my work and my tolerance for like empathy and and you know dealing with because because a lot of the time I don't know about you as a, a, a PT, but I'm assuming it's the same. People talk to us, they talk to us about what is going on in their lives. And sometimes if you know you're having a difficult time at home, outside of work for whatever reason, that capacity to then like listen and and take on board what what somebody is saying definitely shrinks yeah it definitely shrinks but I think that's where we have to get better at kind of managing our own I guess emotional availability for stuff like that and if we are going through a difficult time then maybe that's time to take a look at the diary we don't see as many yeah. people in the day um, and you know being self-employed that's a, that's an absolute advantage and privilege that we have if we are going through a difficult time and of course it's not the same for everybody because it doesn't financially work like that but if you are in a position to to not see I don't know how many clients you would see in a day but say like six seven eight nine ten whatever and and today three spaced out is the way it's gonna work and then maybe we see a few more next week to yeah I think I think that's that's quite tough um but you just get better at managing that I think over time you do just get better at managing it absolutely absolutely um it you you kind of work out what your what your level of tolerance is going to be depending yes. on certain situations you've got going on and you yeah. can you make yeah. those adjustments on the fly that i think there, there are important instances as well where i think you gain resilience as a practitioner where you're able to do yeah. your best under the circumstances with whatever you've got going on outside yeah not necessarily deny that within yourself as well so one thing that's really helped me as and I think also one of the benefits of developing relationships long term with people mm. is and maybe it's not so much the role that that I'm in but more kind of the way that I approach it because there might be a lot yeah. of people professions where people have made this transition over time as well but yes. bringing a little bit more of your humanity to the table yes um, yeah I think is massive for reducing that kind of sense of burnout and yeah that empathy or compassion fatigue which is kind of what we're, we're sort of touching on a little bit absolutely definitely but I think definitely. That, can be, that, that can be quite powerful as well for people who 
are, are in a, you know in going through vulnerable periods of time whether it be pain or whether it be an emotional social situation um being able to yeah. let them know that you're a human being too as well in you know, various different ways is, is really important and not necessarily for you have to be on all the time or have this right. professional facade as much as professionalism is important I think it be, can be done in a way that's very human as well yeah I don't think professionalism necessarily means devoid of human you know human oh, interaction yeah. emotion yeah and yeah. It, it, yeah it's I think sometimes people take that as like professionalism is this way you should be this robot person and yeah. you are there to do the job you do the job and then you move on to the yeah no it doesn't work like that does it no and and touching on what you were saying about you know the fact that people have had some oh. interaction with healthcare I think where possible getting away from that whole paternalistic I'm the expert, I'm the coach, I'm the leader, and you're the recipient of this service or this treatment mm -hmm. or intervention. Yeah. And, and moving things more towards, this is a collaborative effort that we're both working on over a long yeah. period of time. And speaking of time, speak, you know, I have a lot of conversations with, um, I've got a couple of clients that are physios, yeah. uh, and that's one of the key things that they say to me that is an advantage is longer-term relationship development, which does take yeah. time. Um, does, yeah. the luxury that you have that the, the fact that that's a luxury you have in non-clinical roles in a lot of situations mm -hmm. we do we we have we have time and that's that's an amazing kind of that's an amazing thing to have available because in the nhs that's not a thing you get like 10 minutes 15 minutes with somebody and um i think you, you can build you can build or you can break relationships in that time and i think you've got to be really careful what what kind of what kind of relationship you build up also you could you know building a, a, a relationship of dependency like we were talking about it's you've got an opportunity to uh, an opportunity to create an amazing relationship there in that time sometimes that can be a detriment but um but yeah i think this kind of therapeutic so in massage we call it like therapeutic alliance so um, it's because I think in, with with massage being you know a largely passive passive treatment to to an extent um, there's definitely that danger of developing a fixer fixy relationship whereas like my hands are magic I can fix you your wellness is in my hands um, so then you come back next month and we do the exact same thing and and yeah it's not like you were saying it it has to be a collaborative effort it has to be. Yeah. It, it, I just don't really see there's any other way to to work because otherwise you end up in this weird power dynamic which I don't like and um yeah it's it's time time is great but I think when it's used really well and and you do build those really strong relationships with people um but again definitely got it wrong definitely yeah. got it wrong <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I think the caveat here should be that we 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 have learned and continue to learn from errors and mistakes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That we've made along yeah. the way. Like that just that just got me thinking about some of my earlier coaching experiences. Um, yeah, I've just thought about some massive experiences <laughs> where I'm like, oh god. You know, where I had people sat in a in a consultation room and was, um, you know, before I even picked up a motivational interviewing book, before I even knew what yeah. that was. Yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to um trying to lecture and educate but doing it oh god yeah yeah very, kind of a very like you know paternalistic kind of authoritarian sort of approach yeah not, not that my my sort of character has ever been like that but I think even if you're someone who 
means well i think yeah the, the, the whole idea of the uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions yes if, you, if you're not necessarily educated yourself on you know things like behavior change and yeah. what actually what actually motivates somebody to contemplate differing ideas absolutely yeah you can definitely touching on what you know what we were talking about before with the pain education stuff mm. you can ram far too many ideas down someone's throat Mm -hmm. in a very non-empathetic manner too quickly yep. yep i've definitely done that yep yeah, for sure. my early massage career flashing before my eyes here. <laughs> <laughs> thinking i'm going to tell you everything i know especially if i'd been on a course the previous weekend yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and some of those courses now i look at and i'm just like what? no 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 yeah we're not going on a postural awareness course again <laughs> ever Here's here's one for you, and I'm. Um, is it okay if we have a little five minute break in a moment? Just Go for it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, like, I also need to plug this. Uh, this laptop. Yeah, no problem. A bit low on battery, but I remember. Um, you know Kelly Starrett. You heard of Kelly? Yes, Starrett? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know the book Becoming a Supple Leopard. Yes, yeah. I've never read it, but I've seen it knocking yeah. around. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're missing too much, to be honest with you. I think his 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 work has progressed somewhat over the years as the evidence has progressed. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was work, working as an intern, um, a strength conditioning intern at Wigan Warriors Rugby Academy. So okay. these yeah. were like 15 and 16. And I was reading a lot of Kelly Starrett at the time. So I had the entire team of 15 and 16 year old lads doing banded distractions, voodoo flocking <laughs> and foam rolling between sets. Yep. Um, without fail every, everybody had a everybody had a hip tightness everybody had a yep. movement dysfunction yep um everybody had a valgus collapse of the knees you know oh god yeah <laughs> if you're looking for dysfunction you'll find it for sure absolutely absolutely yeah it's and, and that's a very well proven phenomenon yeah, if you're yeah, looking yeah. for something you're probably going to find it if you've already made the decision that somebody's going to have knots in their tissue or they're going to have tightness you're probably going to find it yeah doesn't mean it's there yeah absolutely yeah. just being humble about that isn't it as well you know yeah absolutely and, and also kind of just coming really, really quickly before we have a break Matt. um coming from somebody that's done quite a lot of um cadaver dissection as like part of my training bodies are lumpy and bumpy that's what we that's that that is us we don't need to try and smash every lump and bump to pieces with massage it's a perfectly normal way for humans to be and I don't know what this focus is on wanting to, maybe it's kind of coming from the fixer fixy relationship as well. Mm -hmm. And the narrative that massage should be pain, sports massage especially should be painful. And, and we've got to, we've got to kind of realign tissue and break things down and release things. Still not quite sure where things are getting released to. I don't know where they need to go, but yeah, um, yeah it's just, it's just, it's just, I feel a world away from when I first qualified yeah. <laughs> at yeah. the moment. Um, hopefully in another five years, I'll feel a world away from here, but yeah yeah well that's, yeah. that's that's the hope isn't it it's interesting yeah. just 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 one little thing before we break yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, on, just on that point it, it it sounds to me a little bit like a continuation of that the idea of fragility as well the, the idea yeah. that tissue can be so malleable and can be yeah. you know it can be can be lengthened or released or remodeled from you know such a such a low level of force as, as somebody's touch um or yep. some pressure and it, it's it kind of it sort of perpetuates this idea that we are fragile and prone to misalignments or yep. prone to dysfunction prone to tightness yep. prone to yep. um being too loose name you name it you know either yep. 
hypermobility thrown around like nobody's business isn't it and yeah yeah it's and people that, that genuinely suffer from hypermobility and the complexities that that can often entail that go yep. beyond joint range of motion um, absolutely yeah, that's often um, quite patronizing for them to hear yeah absolutely ridiculous hey hey you okay <laughs> yes i'm good thank you are you i've got good. cough i've got more coffee so i'm great yeah the, the, best, <laughs> the best conversations are fueled by uh, a slight overdose on caffeine i think coffee or sometimes a beer <laughs> nice yeah no that's true yeah yeah, yeah. You, I've, um, had some, I've had some great conversations with people over like a few beers but then also like friends that have no interest in what i do whatsoever and me trying to talk to them about pain and they're like yeah i just don't care like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. that's when the whole sort of permission asking sort of starts to break down when you've had a few uh a few beverages <laughs> you're like do you want to hear about this <laughs> no Okay, never mind then. Yeah, you know I know I've, what you mean. I've started lecturing family members on uh, on pain as well. It must be. An Have you? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's too interesting, isn't it? Particularly when so interesting when you notice that somebody is a little bit receptive to a little bit more of a like a systems view of yeah what's going on rather than just such a you know such an overly simplified explanation yeah definitely and also something that's so scary like I think you know I, I, I think I automatically assume that like people understand like why we experience pain and obviously that's a really complicated complex because it's very different for everybody but a lot of people don't and then I think if you can take the fear factor away a lot of the time or reduce it even a little bit like it can have such a profound effect on you know how somebody goes about their day yeah. Somebody that, that was maybe absolutely terrified of moving for fear of breaking, or you know, for lack of a better word, um, then starts to think, oh, actually, maybe a little bit of movement might do me good. And we all know movement's great. So um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting, but definitely I've done it before when I've had a few beers and I've and somebody's like, Yeah, I'm just, I, this is just not the time for this, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. We'll revisit it another time, or maybe just never actually, but sure. Yeah, just, you know, have another couple of beers because it might, you know, have some inhibitory descending modulatory effects. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, it's just so interesting. It's so interesting, isn't it? We um on my biomedical science course, I think the I think the lecturer is still there. He was called Dr. Mark Johnson. And he so we we had a whole year of lectures. It was called the science of pain. Wow. Um and I feel like I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I was like, why am I so interested in pain? And I genuinely feel like it came from him. Um, and he was one of, you know, when you have those lecturers or like tutors or, or even people that you talk to that are so, they're so engaged in what they do and they love what they do so much. And he was, he was really active in, in um, research as well. And um, where I did my training in Leeds, they have like, um, they have a pain centre, like a pain research centre as part of the university. So um, I mean, I'm guessing as well, that's why we spoke a lot about pain on our, on our mm. course. Um, but I just remember thinking that, I was like, my God, this is so interesting. But we definitely looked at it more from uh, biomedical and like kind of, you know, like biochemical aspects rather than an emotional kind of whole person situation. But I was like, my God, there's so much going on when people are in pain inside their body. Yeah, um, I think even, even, if, you, even if you extend even if you extend up from the tissues to the nervous system, I think that even just that can be empowering in itself. You know, even if you don't yeah. go any further than that, just the, just the yeah. idea of sensitization and yes. breaking away from it, it, it always being harm related. Yeah. 
um absolutely massive for people yeah for sure definitely because i think people a lot of the time people equate pain with damage Mm. still um and we know that that isn't isn't true obviously though there are you know things happening within the body that's caused that that pain to be experienced but i think once you take away the a lot of the time really internalized narrative and that could be from anyone from a medical professional from a family member from something they've read on the internet that pain always means damage or pain means harm or whatever lovely words people tend to throw around like degeneration and and stuff like that like I think it, it almost takes people feel they've got a bit of power back in their situation because they're like okay actually if I'm if if it is painful but it's not damaging then maybe we can explore into that pain a little bit more and and see where it takes us and a lot of the time that's a huge starting point for somebody either feeling like they've got more control over their pain or their pain reducing and getting back to what they they want to be getting back to and yeah yeah I think I think in a lot of cases it's it's a difficult one isn't it because sometimes a, a diagnosis can be can be can be liberating and empowering for people as well but i think in many cases removing the need for one a very diagnosis whether that be a pathology that you know is determined by your physio or your gp or all the way down to a movement pathology that's prescribed by another you know health and fitness practitioner in the gym Mm -hmm. just just removing the insistence on that having to constantly be the forefront of your mind or something to be constantly vigilant of um yeah can be really liberating for people you know there are are multiple ways to look at this maybe you could consider these things as contributors and Mm -hmm. um, it also I think it also from experience it it gives people lots of options to start to experiment with which is great for self-efficacy as well very much so yeah a lot of those things are directly controllable in the short term and and can Mm -hmm. be played with and if it doesn't result in a positive outcome then that's fine you know you've explored it yeah Um, absolutely and i think a lot sleep, oh, sorry sorry i was just going to say no, 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 just things like stress and sleep come to mind there and, and other kind yeah. of lifestyle factors you know it's 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 tough it is tough and i think sometimes as well like when we do have a positive outcome we've got to be with with a client we've got to be really careful not to be like oh well it was definitely that that made it happen because a lot of the time we don't know why it's happened it's probably just happened um and i think this is where sometimes anecdotal evidence gets a little bit um there's a lot of weight put on it a lot of the time well I've had this client that I had a massage and they've been I gave them a massage they've been in pain for the last 40 years now the pain's gone it's like yeah yeah. um but it's yeah it's it's I think for a long time as well when when I kind of started working with people with more kind of complex like um situations of pain and something that would be going on for a long time I was like oh well they must want to reduce their pain that's what we're going to do and a lot of the time that isn't what somebody wants to do um it might not be feasible it might not be realistic and and, and again placing these unrealistic situations on people that then don't turn out the way we want them to turn out is is not it's not great either but um but when you actually talk to somebody, a lot of the time, and this again, this is quite, a, it's very nuanced and it's different for everybody, but a lot of the time people want to start to return things to their lives that maybe had gone because of pain. And, and I think that's a, this is this is where you have to listen to people, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. Um, there's there's a there's an MSK therapist, I don't know if you know Ben, ben Cormack? Yes, yeah, so I've actually just recently done his mentorship. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, he calls he calls it a clinical conversation, which I really like. So basically, where you literally just listen to the person talk, and and you know you ask questions, and and it's a collaborative conversation. But you 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 shut up and you listen to what they they say rather than you pushing loads of advice and information and how this is going to go on on yeah. and I really like that there's so many things I want to say in response to what you just said so I'll try and uh I'll try yeah, and... go for it sorry no. I just talk forever so oh, no, just it, stop just, me. it just it just opens <laughs> so many rabbit holes um yeah. one one thing that sprung to mind there was it is I think in many cases an additional benefit of what we do as non-clinicians or non-healthcare professionals maybe I don't necessarily want to speak for you too much because of the nature of what you do and mm. the way that it might be advertised a lot of the time as as direct pain relief yeah um but one of the things that I think I can really leverage is returning to function and returning yes. to life and the rehabilitation components of yeah. of therapy yeah that seem to be so undervalued so much so undervalued definitely I think with with me like there's definitely I have a lot of if it's something that the the individual wants to do if something that the person wants to do yeah we do we do explore movement um, and a lot of the time if we don't feel like physios a route that they either can go down or want to go down because maybe yeah. they've had poor experiences in the past looking for a personal trainer that is aware of how to work with people who don't want to build a booty or that kind of thing um uh is is really important because it, it you know you you can start to then explore movement but in a non-clinical yes. non-clinical yes. situation and um, for me a lot of the time people that I work with we start to look to get back to hobbies and they aren't necessarily um you know running a marathon or doing this doing that a lot of the time it's like it's painting it's gardening it's um reading um so really interestingly somebody that i'm working with at the moment we're, we're looking to um increase her tolerance to sitting for slightly prolonged periods of time because she's, she's quite she has quite a strong reaction to sitting and it's it's come from a don't sit down it'll aggravate your pain da, da, da. so it's but it's, it's gone in completely the opposite direction where she is not stopping or sitting down at all at any point in the day so and she wants to read but she doesn't want to read walking around the house so we're doing like gradual exposure to sitting down and and it's it, none of this we're, we're doing to reduce pain we're, we're doing it to hopefully increase her life and grow her life again and and um, she's just joined a book club which is amazing which she hasn't done for the last 10 years because she didn't want to sit down and discuss the book with people um and there's so there's such a huge avenue to to work with people in these non-clinical settings. It's really exciting. It is, and, and when that's when that's all built upon a foundation of reducing the threat and the fear from that person's experience. Now, now you can start having that conversation about function, yeah. and re, you know, yeah. return to value activities Absolutely. and quality of life. The amount the amount of people one of the, the, the one of my favourite parts about my job is getting people back on a barbell with some appreciable. Yes. Work. Um. Because there is so much stigma around some some of these movement patterns. Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I um I dislocated my knee in October, um and even when I so I, when when I kind of said I was going to get back under a barbell because I, I love weight I love I train in like a powerlifting style kind of situation. I was like I need to get back under a barbell because squat like deadlifting fine if something goes wrong you just drop the bar don't you? Um bench press 
not not too much of an issue with my knee if I couldn't flex it enough I'd just pop my knees up on the on the bench and we could modify but squatting I was like oh god the weight's above me and I'm gonna have to go down and come back up and so I had so many people saying oh you don't want to do that it's dangerous I'm like it's not dangerous I just need to get over myself and uh, get that fear away but there's so much fear and stigma around weight training isn't there and training with a barbell as well and lifting yeah. heavy for, for whatever reason you know you can use kettlebells you can use dumbbells yeah. you can use resistance bands but as soon Ankle as ankle weights yeah. like yeah <laughs> as soon as but a barbell about... comes out it, it you know and, and people sort of there's been a lot of there's been a lot of conversation around biomechanics and some of the limitations of barbell training which in some yeah. respects i've appreciated because yeah the way that the barbell influences someone's center of mass and how that might not necessarily always yeah. be ideal for specific goals from an exercise yeah. Um, but I think oftentimes that then gets misinterpreted as either these movements are ineffective or these mm -hmm. movements are inherently more unsafe than something else. Yes. Uh, which is just demonstrably yeah. not true. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this kind of conversation around safety, it happens quite a lot. Like when we talk, when I, if I talk about weight training and, and that's not something I necessarily, I, I, I would refer out for that because it's not in my scope of practice to start writing somebody a program around weightlifting, but the minute you talk about it, you can see the whole like, isn't that a bit dangerous? Or yeah. you're gonna wreck your knees or you're gonna wreck your back. Or I'd say the biggest threat for me with weight training is dropping a plate on my foot, which I have done a couple of times. Um, yeah. But in terms of, yeah, there's, I think there's still like, I think we're getting, we get, oh, weight training in children as well. Oh, mm. don't do that. It'll stunt their growth. It's or, or in the elderly, let's flip it to the elderly. Know, yeah. My, um, my mum started weight training at 70. Wow. Um, so she got PT. Yeah. Um, so my mum and dad go to the gym. My dad's always kind of done weight training, but she was like, oh, it's not for me. And she'd always like, she's got these pink weights in the garage that are like one kilo. And then um, she joined the gym and she got a PT and she was like, right, which uh, which machinery going on? He was like, no, we're going upstairs to the weights. And she was like, oh, but then she realized like, obviously, you know, no one's asking her to overhead press a 50 kilo dumbbell. But in terms of like, the PT is great actually because he was like well do you carry your shopping bags from the car and she's like yes how many shopping bags do you carry six yeah. and then she's there walking with like 15 kilos in each hand like it's no problem and it's like reframing it isn't it in a way that's yeah also people are so much stronger than they think they are yeah yeah well yeah it's that that idea I love that idea that you are you're already you're already weight training you're already resistance yeah. training you just don't know it you know um yeah. and it's to be to be more optimally prepared for those life activities that involve forces yeah. and resistance yeah uh, get in the gym you know because it's it's get got so so many health benefits that are that that are i mean you know this this whole idea that exercise and movement is uh medicine i think can be overblown a little bit but it's about as close to a medical intervention that's lifestyle induced as you could possibly get in my opinion yeah it's a, it's a tricky it's a, it's a tricky conversation isn't it that as well because I think it very much depends on who you talk to about it and the situation that like I have clients that a gym is just not accessible for them and saying to them oh get into a gym exercises medicine is probably going to sound really offensive to them yeah. um but then I've got other people that it's you know it's it's exactly what they they need and they want and yeah. it's again it's it's a nuanced conversation isn't it I think these like these little punchy statements sound great but they don't take into account people's situations do they they're like and the but sorry sorry no no you go you go Matt 
I was just going to say, oftentimes as well, it's within the the message is being communicated to a, a fairly narrow spectrum of individuals. So very much so, yeah. Within that kind of echo chamber of people that 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 can derive, you know, you know, somewhat medicinal benefits from going to the gym on a regular basis, yeah. actually getting themselves to a gym. Uh, at peak time where it's busy without us without support and supervision and assistance yeah. and like that that's great you know but like you say you know we, we've we've spoken a little bit um in you know on a, a few different posts in the past about this idea yeah. of a little bit of a bias towards people that are more able-bodied more functionally so. capable yeah. and like that um yeah. and, and that, that is a big problem I mean again speaking of different podcasts that could definitely be a podcast in itself but yeah, very much so. I think it's the same with like, there's, that we tend to have this thing like massage is magic. Like, yeah, it's, massage is great if you like massage. If you have a huge aversion to being touched or being in that situation or you've had a previous awful incident to do with massage or you've got a history where you've come from a background where touch is not something that feels safe to you, I can't see it being particularly magic in those situations. And it's just, again, these like blanket statements yeah. that again take into account a very narrow population don't they um and they tend to i think a lot of the time reflect the person that's delivering the service mm. which a lot of the time is people that have never had accessibility issues yes um which is frustrating it is frustrating um a couple of my clients that i work with at the moment have um neurological disorders and so accessibility is an issue for them um and so like saying oh just get yourself off to the gym movement's magic or you know exercise is magic or exercise is medicine yeah. it's just not something there's a whole area between them leaving their house and getting to the gym and actually exercising in that environment that needs to be taken into consideration so it's absolutely yeah absolutely, absolutely. unfortunately that doesn't fit into a, a 15 second instagram reel no it doesn't <laughs> and that's where a lot of people are getting their information which is unfortunate um yeah not you know not not necessarily anti so no. completely um but it's just you know certain platforms there's going to be inherent limitations there in terms yeah. of how things are communicated one thing that i did want to touch on before we yeah. Wrap up, yeah yeah of course you mentioned about some of the benefits of massage for people yeah. that aren't otherwise uh contraindicated to it for whatever reason whether that yeah be yeah yeah you know, physical, psychological, just yep. any reason why they, it might not necessarily be for them. Yep. Because we've, we've touched on some of maybe a lot of the dogma and the myths. Yeah. Massage. Yeah. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about some of the real tangible, if you will, evidence-based uh, kind of mechanisms behind the effectiveness of massage. Yeah. So, I mean, for a start, massage therapists love to say that massage is really specific. It's not. It's a very general... I hate the word intervention I really don't like that word it's a it's a very general way of working with somebody's yeah. body but it's really really hard to explain because I think you know when you do it all the time you kind of just kind of crack on with what you're doing but it is very general um and we can't be specific in what we do I think that's that's something we have to say even though people love to you know say that they're specific in what they do it's it's not it's like exercise exercise is quite general isn't it unless you're kind of you can't really isolate a muscle or it's like I can't work on a muscle I'm working with somebody's body or somebody's nervous system mm. but I think one of the main tangible things that people do get out of it is temporary pain relief 
um, and whether that's a variety, so again, whether that's a variety of kind of complex, you know, physiology happening underneath the surface, or whether it's a distraction for somebody, whether it matters or not is up for discussion. I guess it depends on the person that's in front of you. So I would say temporary pain relief and working with people who are in long-term pain um, from their perspective. And I can only kind of speak in the context of when we've had discussions, like if you are in long-term pain and there are times when it becomes exhausting, don't ever underestimate temporary pain relief for somebody. Um, yeah. it can it can be amazing um we have got quite a lot of research coming out that's more looking towards the effect of massage and mental health so anxiety and depression um i'd say a lot of that research is still quite in its infancy but we do seem to have some really good pointers towards that having positive effects in those situations however again it's a person dependent situation um yeah. People love to promote the general sense of well-being situation. I don't really know what that means. People feel good. People feel nice. People feel relaxed. It's nice to have a massage. Touch is an important part of being a human for a lot of people. Um, so when we say well-being, I guess people can just take that from, from whatever they want. But I think with massage itself, like depending on the way you work, you have the opportunity to make somebody feel seen and heard and safe in their own body. That can also go completely in the other direction. And from there, maybe we can get a reduced sense of anxiety, a reduced mm. sense of stress, reduced pain. And the way it happens, is it important? I don't, I don't know whether the majority of people would want an explanation on how that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think like like you like you sort of describing it's it, it, the the mechanisms are probably very individual and very complex and mm -hmm. might differ for one person between two different time points. I imagine yeah. as well. Um, very much so. Yeah. And it's a murky biopsychosocial phenomena. I imagine just like most of these kind of it's really murky experiences. Um, very murky. Very yeah. person dependent. Very contextual. Yeah. Um, something that is great for one person is another person's nightmare so mm. it's it's yeah it, it is complex but i think working with people is complex isn't it it's yeah. it's tricky and everything is nuanced and the answer to everything is it depends yeah 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 <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you mentioned um therapeutic touch or the, the, the idea yeah. of touch um and from, from what from what i've a little bit of reading i've done prior to this conversation it seems that this, there's a, a wealth of evidence on the benefits of therapeutic touch more generally, not necessarily specifically applied to massage therapy. No, no, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I agree. And I think, um, I think we saw how much that affected people during the pandemic as well. Um, obviously, again, it's never just one thing that has a detrimental effect on somebody's health and um, but I think we saw how that that affected, you know, was affected through the pandemic. And I think we're I'm going to go off on a weird tangent here, but just stay with me and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, <laughs> I think people um, when you talk about touch, it gets very over sexualized as well. And it turns it into something that it, it, it isn't. Um, but I think what we saw kind of post pandemic is a lot of people, especially living on their own massage was their form of, of kind of tactile interaction um and 
yeah I think I don't necessarily think that like you said like we're not necessarily talking in the context of massage but but therapeutic touch is important it, it is a part of being a human we are tactile beings aren't we and I think um we have to discuss that more because unfortunately when you start to bring that topic up like a lot of the time people are like oh why are you talking about touch like that's you know it's it's not a, not a thing we should be talking about but it is something we should be talking about and it is from the point of a massage therapist that's how some people get that that tactile human interaction mm. with it being nothing more than that yeah um yeah. but people don't like that conversation because it's uncomfortable and obviously some people abuse that situation so yeah um but yeah touch is important yeah it's i think that's a it's a good example of where something that is a, con a conversation about something that's very evolutionary uh, and very deep within us as human beings yes. as, as a species is is very is, is very easy to be misinterpreted based on more of kind of like a a modern cultural yeah. understanding of the world and maybe the yeah. wrong the wrong lens to view a given situation yeah absolutely. Um, I, can, I can definitely see how that can be very easily yeah. uh, purposefully and maybe non-intentionally kind of misinterpreted. yeah 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 definitely definitely interesting interesting conversation yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh thank you for thank you for going there a little bit with it because i know that's not necessarily the no it's it's i think it's important to talk about it because you know it is something that does crop up and and the more you shy away from a conversation probably the, the more inappropriately it gets interpreted and yeah i just yeah it's, it's a conversation that actually happened with a lot of clients, actually, when we, we came back out of lockdown. They were like, I missed hugging people. I missed putting my arm around somebody. Like, I didn't see anyone for, like, three months. It was, it's a huge part. And I think people realise how important it is in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, on and off, this I sort of see conversations in, in a coaching dynamic as well about the use mm. of touch and where it's appropriate, where it's not appropriate. I've been on, I've been on courses where, yes. you know, there's been there's been discussions about how to communicate a certain coaching cue or encourage a certain position mm -hmm. um and i sometimes feel like if people want to view some if if, some, if, if people want to assume something that's sexualized they always yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah um so it's, it's sometimes a difficult one particularly when there yeah. are inherent power dynamics with a male practitioner and a female client i think sometimes yeah. I think you've, you've got to kind of be careful there in the way that you frame stuff and the way you communicate stuff. And Definitely. And I think that's something that I don't necessarily have to, like I will always ask permission before I put my hands on somebody, because even though it's a massage and that's what somebody's coming for, like you still ask permission. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of being a woman, that's definitely not something I think about as much. Um, yeah. I don't know, like for me, me as a, um, like I've had a couple of conversations with female clients recently and they, they would say I would never I wouldn't have a male mobile massage therapist come to my house um, and I've never really had to think about me yes obviously I think about my safety because it's important but I don't necessarily I don't necessarily always think about how the person not that I don't think about it because we tend to do a, a you know we have quite a few conversations before I go in but it's it's not something I would necessarily I think have to think about as much as if if I weren't female which is interesting as well yeah I, I, yeah I think I think there, there's certainly going to be situations in both directions where course, yeah. a gender specific kind of extra consideration whether that's a good thing or a bad thing yeah 
it is yeah. the way it is and and i think i think it if is, you're yeah. intelligent and you're intuitive um you will always do the yeah. necessary things you know you'll communicate in a certain way that makes somebody feel safe and i think that's a human yes. thing regardless of regardless of gender you know yeah yeah, yeah being able to make somebody feel supported and safe is what we're kind of all shooting for really in every situation. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the thing. I think that's what we both have, like kind of our roles have in common as well. If you're making somebody feel safe and supported, then you hopefully are doing your job um, well, rather than throwing egos around and information and what you learned on your course the previous weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, perfect opportunity to use all my new skills on this client yeah. who hasn't asked every for single one. <laughs> <laughs> for a week, but yeah, I realize it doesn't it, work, and then I'll go on another course. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'll change it up a bit. But, that, but I think that's like that's kind of a nice place to wrap it up, isn't it? As long as we're making people feel supported and safe, and like they have control over their situation, that's that's quite a nice place to to be with people. Yeah, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Nice. With that. Yeah, lovely place to end. if you've made it this far thank you very much for listening if you'd like to check out emily's work in more detail i've left all the necessary links in the show notes below until next time take care and i'll see you in the next episode